Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about from broker to patient advocate, understanding the long-term care claim from the other side of the table is Linda Yonke. Linda is president of Yonke Consulting, a long-term care planning and advocacy firm. Linda has focused on educating families and providing long-term care insurance options since 1987. When her clients need to file a claim as a board certified patient advocate, Linda is uniquely qualified to manage the claim process and provide valuable community resources. How are you doing today, Linda? I'm fabulous. I'm in San Diego. <laughs> uh, now you're now you're just rubbing it in. <laughs> well, good stuff. Well, Linda, before we get started, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. For those that are joining us today for the live webinar, if you would go ahead and type your questions in, time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Linda, get us started from broker to patient, from broker to advocate, understanding the long-term care claim. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you highlighting this very important issue. The, the first thing I wanna share is just a little bit about the um, topic of going from broker to patient advocate. And, and I have been a long-term care insurance broker for, 33 years, and as you can see on your screen, just in general for people who have long-term care insurance or maybe who don't have long-term care insurance, in general, long-term care insurance is a great tool to pay for future care costs. So over the years, I sold insurance. Um, about 10 years ago, one of my clients actually started to need the benefits. She was at home, just like this little PowerPoint shows, Long-term care insurance pays for home, assisted living, nursing home, et cetera. Anyway, my client was at home and she needed care. And unfortunately, um, as a result of the poor quality of care that she received in her home, she passed away tragically. I didn't know about this. I didn't know what was going on with her uh, until her family reached out to me. And when they reached out to me, they told me what had happened. Because of that situation, and I won't go into all the detail about it, but it was it was a pretty traumatic situation for her family. And I thought to myself, you know, people who take the time, first of all, to buy long-term care insurance, then spend 20, 25, 30 years paying for the long-term care insurance policy to reach that point when they need it, and A, not to be able to find quality care depending on where they're living or just their condition, and then B, not be able to move through the process of working on a claim is just completely unacceptable to me. And so I became a patient advocate. And one of the reasons I became a patient advocate is because even though you have money or you have long-term care insurance, that is no guarantee that you're gonna find a good caregiver. And so one of the things that we do in our community is we help our families find excellent and vetted caregivers in particular now because of COVID, this is a huge issue. So for example, a lot of people will say, no, 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 I don't want a stranger in my home. I'm gonna have my friend down the street come in and my friend is gonna take care of me. Well, that's fine, but because of COVID right now, we absolutely have to work with individuals that we know have not been exposed, who are practicing safe distancing, et cetera, et cetera which is why we, we only connect our people who are having claims with agencies that have this protocol in place. And thankfully, so right now we have about 150 claims that we're overseeing, Jason, and about 90 of them are in their homes getting care. We have not had one COVID-related incident, which is amazing. 
The other thing and the reason why we need to do advocacy is because clients don't remember what they purchased. And not that I'm a big proponent of insurance companies per se, but what I will say is a lot of the, the problems and issues that happen in the claim is because consumers just honestly don't understand what they have. And they go about making decisions without understanding their contract, then the decision that they make is not um, compatible with their benefits. And then they think, oh, this insurance company is treating me poorly. So we really want to educate people to help them understand, look, if you want to file a claim, here are the steps. Here's what you need to do. The other thing is we do get claims that are denied. And the reason they're denied is because the process stalls. I'll give you a great example. Um, insurance companies will send HIPAA forms, forms to the client, and most people on Medicare, Jason, are not used to handling claims because they don't have to. They go to their doctor's office, the doctor's back office is dealing with the claim, and they're not managing any of the paperwork. So they file a long-term care insurance claim, and they get all this stuff in the mail, and if they're not feeling well or they have a, a cognitive impairment, they might not sign the paperwork. And so the process stalls and the insurance company literally just stops and they don't move forward. So the other issue that we deal with and why we wanna advocate for people is a big one. It's called waiting periods. Long-term care insurance, they all in general have waiting periods. And what does that mean? It means once you start getting care, you're gonna to have to wait a certain number of days, months, et cetera, before those benefits are gonna pay. And so what we try and help people understand is the easiest and the least expensive way to mitigate that waiting period for folks. Um, so what we do, putting the pieces together. So someone will say, well, this just sounds terrible. If I have long-term care insurance, why would I have to hire an advocate to get my benefits? And what I tell them is, well, you don't necessarily have to have an advocate like myself. If you've got a family member that we can talk to then let us talk to them. Let us show the family member exactly what has to take place. But here's the thing. Long-term care insurance is a private contract between the insured and the insurance company. There's no middleman here. So what that means is when the person is receiving care, that insured is responsible to provide proof, right? The doctor's not responsible. The home care's not responsible the claimant is responsible. And so what we help families understand is, if you want this to go well, you gotta follow the rules and you need to know what the rules are. So here's are the rules. Number one, when you file a claim, you gotta call the insurance company. And unfortunately, this is where a lot of claims break down because I'm just gonna give you a little example. So I'm calling the insurance company. I am in my home by myself. I'm an elderly female, which is typical. And I have not been showering as much because I have a step over tub and I am afraid to get in my tub because my neighbor fell and I have had almost accidents and I, I just don't want that to happen. So I'm not showering and I'm not bathing. I'm definitely not getting in the tub. So maybe once a week I might get in and out of the shower, but I'm going to call the insurance company and they're going to ask me, are you able to shower yourself? And what do you think that person's going to say? She's going to say, yeah, I've got my grab bar and I'm, I can step in, blah, blah, blah. And the insurance company intake person is going to say, okay, you're independent because you just said that you actually can do that. The insurance company person is not going to drill down and say, tell me about how often you shower. 
Tell me about how you get in and out. What is your shower like? Do you have a tub step over? Do you have grab bars? Do you have a seat? Do you have this? Da, 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 da. Understanding that the less type of equipment and the more risk that person is taking, they truly are not independent. Because what we want to do is we want to help people age in place safely, right? So if they're not showering as much because they're afraid, they're technically not independent and they need standby. So we explain this to our clients. We say, that's the first thing. So you call the insurance company and you have to understand what they're looking for. So we recommend, and we do this for our clients, we don't let them call the insurance company. We have them call us. The client calls us. I get their medical records. I get all their information. And then I do the intake interview based on the fact that I believe it is a vetted claim. And I answer those questions for the person instead of having them do it. The second thing, the next step is the on-site assessment. Insurance companies by and large now have hired third-party administrators. Insurance companies are not administering the claim per se. They've got these third-party administrators who have nurses and case managers that are moving the claim process forward. So the on-site assessment is hugely important. Why? Because the nurse that does that on-site assessment really is the one that's going to be the catalyst to approve or deny that claim. And I'll give you a good example. So a nurse comes into a home and she's interviewing a person in their home and asking the same questions. ADLs, can you shower? Can you bathe? Can you transfer? Can you do this? Can you do that? And if the individual is like a typical elderly person, they're thinking, I have a medical assessment coming up. I'm going to put my makeup on or for a gentleman, I'm going to get my nice sweater on, I'm gonna make sure that I'm looking good, and I'm gonna show them how good I am at 87 years old, even though after they leave, I'm going back to bed, right? And so what people don't understand and we try and help them see is this assessment is for you to show what it's like for you on your worst day, not on your best day. And Jason, as much as we've explained this to people, it's just human nature for folks and especially elderly people to not connect what's going on. This type of an assessment is not one you wanna pass. So we tell our clients, you don't wanna pass this assessment. You want to explain and demonstrate why you need services. So we recommend that you got a family member with the assessment or better yet, that we do the assessment for our clients. Um, because of COVID, uh, a lot of our families don't want nurses to come in, which is fine. And so we'll do the assessment on the phone. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about cognitive issues in just a moment, but that's the second step. So first step, intake interview on the phone. Second step, assessment. Then the third thing is document collection. What does that mean? Like I said, if a person is in their home getting care, if they're in a facility, there are documents that have to be filled out, signed and filled out properly, sent to the insurance company before the claim can be approved. So let's say the person gets the first step, the second step, and the claim is approved. And then the third step comes and the home care agency or the independent caregiver or the facility, for whatever reason, just has dropped the ball in that. Well, the claim's not getting paid and it will stall. So. We kind of are the burr under the saddle for all of the providers. If it's the facility, we're kind of that little burr to reach out to them over and over and say, hey, by the way, this is what our carrier is requesting. Can you please get this to us as soon as possible? 
The other thing is verification of benefits for accuracy. This might be a shock, but sometimes insurance companies do make mistakes. And so because it's still a human business, you got the invoices and all those things going to the insurance company. And what we get is we get our clients' statements to show us every month what they were paid. So my staff looks at all the statements, they look at the invoices and they match it and make sure everything is paid properly. And on occasion, frankly, quite often, um, we find, oh, a day or two or a week has been dropped off. And it's just because it didn't get, you know, it was lost in translation. The last thing and the most important thing and why I tell people it's important to understand the process is because once a claim is approved, it's not rubber stamped every year. It's not a done deal. Every, depending on the carrier and depending on the person's need. So for example, if a person needs scheduled services and they only need somebody to come in to do showering and bathing and maybe they're living with a family member or their family is providing a lot of support, that claim is gonna be recertified possibly every four months. And so what that means is that the family has to go through this process with an assessment, with new documentation every four months at least once a year. And it is not unheard of, and we've seen this, whereby a person has been approved, they're in a facility, or they're at home, and then this recertification comes around and something's missed. Because people just think, well, I, I need the care, why would they think I don't need the care? I have dementia, I'm not improving. Well, guess what, it doesn't matter. The insurance company is going to require that you recertify every single year, every six months, every year. And so we handle that for our clients. So the next thing is common problems with long-term care claims. And once again, like I said, I'm not opposed to long-term care insurance. I just want to state that so plainly because we, we offer it, we believe in it. I've seen it change people's lives, family members who have these great policies and even having $3,000 a month is, is, is great. Again, the problem is not the product itself, the problem can be the process. And one of the biggest issues right now is cognitive impairments. I'm just gonna give you an example of what's going on with one of my clients right now. I have a client that we just picked up her claim and she has progressed so far into her dementia um, that she's so fearful and so paranoid and it's nearly impossible to get anybody to her house. We have found somebody, a family member's friend, who's able to take care of her, thank goodness, and it's been a good connection. But guess what? We have to file the claim. We have to have that nurse do the assessment. We have to have my client participate with the process, and she doesn't want to. So what do you do in that kind of a situation? So in a situation like that, I work with the power of attorney. The power of attorney is signing all the documents because my client does not want to or cannot participate with the process. And then how do we do an assessment in somebody's home where their dementia is such that it causes them to trigger and then the rest of the day is a nightmare for the family? As a patient advocate, it is my duty and my job to get the claim approved, but also to protect my client from that process that will trigger all of this garbage and undo what we're trying to do. And so 
that type of a situation I'm seeing more often. And another type of issue with cognitive impairments is that the family has not received any kind of diagnosis because they can't get their loved one to see a neurologist because they're in denial. And they haven't talked to the doctor about it because they're embarrassed and they don't want to offend their family member. And so although the family is saying, my mom or my loved one is doing this and that and this and that, and we're so worried, blah, blah, blah. Have you talked to a doctor? Well, no. Have you seen a, a, a neuropsychiatrist? Well, no. And what I tell people is, again, the claim is approved because of proof. We've got to get proof. And so what I do in these kind of a situation is I don't file the claim right away. I vet it. I make sure seeing the person and, and talking to the family members that at least we can move forward. And then we go about getting that proof before we file a claim. So the cognitive issue is a huge deal because long-term care insurance claims are approved in one of two ways. You have two paths to go down. Your claim is approved either because you need physical or hands-on, physical hands-on or standby assistance with your activities of daily living, such as bathing, dressing, continence care, transferring, toileting, or eating, or that you have what the insurance company calls a severe cognitive impairment. As long as I've been doing this, Jason, I have yet to see in any medical records a doctor write the word severe cognitive impairment. That's usually reserved for somebody in the last stages of Alzheimer's or dementia. But I have seen a ton of medical records that say mild cognitive impairment, and that is an absolute um, deal killer in insurance in terms of claims because you can't have mild cognitive impairment and be severe at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important. And, and what I try to do is educate our clients and help them understand, look, here's the definition in the contract under severe cognitive impairment, judgment, short-term, long-term, hallucinations, et cetera. If your loved one is experiencing these things, then we can move forward, but we got to get the documentation. So in general, and I'm trying to keep track of the time, I didn't start my little timer, Jason, so you can do that. You're doing that. well. Okay. No, you're doing well. Just keep going. Okay. All right. Um, so most importantly, as I said, the devil is in the details with the documentation. And the last thing that I'd like to talk about is documentation. Um, it is not uncommon for doctor's offices uh, for long-term care facilities to not mark things that um, cause lots of problems. And it's not because they're not good people or they're not doing their job. It's because they're looking at their thing and we're looking at our thing. And so my main job is to make my thing their thing <laughs> and to help them understand, bring your head up, little bit out of your paperwork and please look at these questions and please fill these out properly because without doing that my client cannot get a claim approved and by the way doctor or facility if you disagree with these things then do let us know because there is a miscommunication here we don't want to be encouraging people to commit fraud on their long-term care claim but at the same time we want everybody to understand if if this is a problem and everybody agrees that this person needs care, then let's all get on the same page and all state the same thing in all the paperwork. Um, a lot of our job, Jason, what we do is correcting errors. And once we do that, things 
go through, sail through generally. So the other thing about long-term care claims and just why it's so important for brokers like myself to understand um, that when you sell a long-term care insurance policy, you, you actually have to sell it as though you think the client's going to use it. And I, and I mean, I think that most brokers do believe that because that's why they're doing it. But at the same time, it's, I think it would be very helpful for brokers to go through a couple claims, not to say that they have to go do a deep dive like we do, but it would be so wonderful if brokers had relationships with really good home care agencies. And I, I do think a lot of brokers are moving in that direction um, to understand what a geriatric care manager is to understand what fiduciaries do, what trust officers do, because more and more clients that we're servicing don't have anybody. For whatever reason, um, their children are not around or their children are not in a position that they can really help their family members. And it's unfortunate, but it's true that elderly people are starting to have to hire out more and more services to be able to stay safely in their home or in their community. If the elderly person is not in a facility like a continuing care community or a retirement community, which are such great options for people, they've got a lot of balls to juggle in their home if they're disabled. And, and it's it can be a very difficult situation. So the role of a broker like myself, is to recognize with their clients, wow, I'm worried about you. I, I think that it would be a good idea for you to get some help, even if you're not going to file a claim, but to help people find good vetted providers in their community, solve the problem, um, and stay involved. And so that's, in a nutshell, what my company does, and and more than that, too, Um we take phone calls from our clients when they have problems with their home care agencies. And what we like to do is, is try and mediate and help them work through their problems with the home care agency, unless it's just a horrific situation and we'll find them a new one. But in general, because home care is such a difficult thing for people to consider and to do, once they make that decision and have an agency or a stranger come into their home to help them, it's a delicate dance. And so we make ourselves available for our clients. They can call us up and, and, and talk to us about, hey, you know, my caregiver was on the phone half the day. Is that right? Is that something I should be concerned about? We say, absolutely. Um, would you like me to call the agency and talk to them or would you like to do that? Yeah. And so just letting our clients know that there's somebody else there keeping an eye on things in the event that something takes place um, that we sort of have their back. Excellent stuff, Linda. Thank you so much. We have quite a few questions. Uh, first one, don't long-term care insurance companies provide customer advocates? So that's a great question. Most policies have what's called care coordinator benefits, and that care coordinator benefit is not an advocate for the client by any means. The care coordinator in the policy is that nurse I was talking about or that process that the nurse comes out and evaluates the person in their home to determine whether or not they are eligible. In addition, that nurse is supposed to give a list of resources and services 
that the person can reach out to for care, which is fine and, and good. The problem is with that, it's probably a better idea that the claimant have a referral, a warm referral for a vetted home care organization instead of just a list to call because it's the, the family's going to have to interview several. Um, and so is the insurance company advocating for the client? No, that's not their job. Their job is to collect the proof. And the, the insured's job is to give the proof. Can a long-term care insurance be used non-continually? In other words, if you need it uh, for help after hospital stay, then become, you know, take care of yourself. Uh, is that possible? Absolutely. Uh, we have had situations where people have opened claims and received the care that they need and then not needed the care anymore. And, and that's a wonderful thing. Keep in mind, in general, a long-term care claim is not going to go forward unless the physician notes and signs a form saying that they believe that the person is going to need care for at least 90 days. So I'm going to give you a quick example. Let's say the person has a hip procedure. If they're younger, under 70, and they have a hip procedure, the odds of that claim being approved more than 90 days is, is not good unless the person has a lot of comorbidity issues. If the person is in their 80s or 90s and they have a hip replacement, generally that thing's gonna stay open and the claim's gonna stay open for more than six months because of the age and, and the likelihood that more things are gonna go wrong. So it can happen that people can start, stop, start, stop. In general, if it's gonna be longer than 90 days, the claim's probably gonna go on. So how many other brokers are out there as patient advocates for long-term care insurance? So I know that there are a handful of brokers that quote unquote assist their clients with claims. There is not anybody like us. I do not know of another broker who is a patient advocate, files claims, and oversees and manages their client's claim as long as they're alive. I don't know anybody like that. Okay, then as far as the type of clients that you can deal with as far as location, geography, um, can you work outside of your geographic area? We do have clients all over the United States. The key and, and the success, because obviously we don't want to take a claim on unless I believe it's going to be a successful claim. Um, I have to have a point person and I have to get a visual. So if the family member or anybody in the family, and usually I work with family members, they're the ones that hire me to help their, their parent. If they can get me a visual, Zoom, FaceTime, Google Doc, whatever, and I can see the person, I basically do my assessment just like the insurance company would to make sure it's vetted. And then I go about and get all of the documentation digitally and virtually, which is pretty simple, thank goodness, in our age of technology. And then helping them find vetted care, we can do that because we work with home care agencies all over the United States. Um, so that's fairly easy to do as well. Do you typically work with the patient themselves or go through an intermediary like a power of attorney? It, it varies. Um, if, if it's a cognitive claim, I usually am working with the power of attorney um, for obvious reasons. And I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of split. I would say more than 50% of the time I'm dealing with the client directly. 
Um, they, they generally like to be involved in their own decisions, which is very important not to take that away from them. The only time that I cannot work with a person is if there's so much confusion that they, they can't answer my questions and it causes a problem with the process and I can't, I have to work with the power of attorney. A couple more questions, Linda. How are your services paid for? Are they paid by insurance? Uh, some of the policies have very small benefits that that may pay for me, but I, I have to, to say that in general, I haven't found very many. I, I have one in the years that I've been doing this where I could have been paid from the policy. Um, in general, no, it's a private um, contract, just like a person would contract privately with a geriatric care manager or something like that. And our fee is a retainer. They pay me once a year. Um, and that once a year retainer sort of, I don't want to say enables, but it gives them access to me and my staff for 12 months for whatever's going on with that claim. So I don't bill per hour or anything like that. I charge a one-shot fee, and that's why we have to be very efficient in how we operate and, and do our processes. Um, sometimes when we take a claim on, it becomes very complicated and we didn't intend for it to, but I don't charge my clients more money because of that. If I have to do an appeal, I will charge more for an appeal. Um, but other than that, if a person stays on with our company the following year, we reduce our fee quite a bit because we generally don't have to refile the claim. We just have to do recertification and continue on monitoring the benefits. What are there, are there some common misconceptions, Linda, when it comes to long-term care? When you sit down with somebody for the first time, it sounds like you do a little bit more explaining, unfortunately, than maybe others do. Um, what are some common misconceptions? Uh, the, the biggest misconception is that people can stay home and, and hire whoever they want to take care of them. People really do forget um, that family members, by and large, are not allowed the benefit. So in other words, family members do provide care, but the insurance company isn't going to reimburse for that. A lot of times people do forget that. Um, the other issue is the deductible is very misunderstood. When a person buys long-term care insurance, generally they want to pay as little as possible <laughs> for the premium. And so they'll be okay purchasing it to have a 90-day deductible. And then come claim time, they're looking at 90 days. And some of these contracts require 90 service days. And if they're only getting two or three days of care a week, do you know how long it takes to have 90 service days met? So we, we try and explain to people that. And, and in the process of selling, in addition, the process of claims, we go over that waiting period a lot and try and help them understand how to meet their needs if they do have a long one. Last question, Linda. Let's just assume nobody's heard of of you and the services that you provide and somebody decides they wanted to file a claim on their own, what's the best piece of advice you could give a family before they try to file a long-term claim? Mm -hmm. um, I, I would never recommend that the person, the insured, do it on the phone on their own. I They have to have a family member or somebody who knows what's going on with their situation on the phone. They absolutely need that. 
Um, so that's the first thing. If they don't have anybody, then certainly call the insurance company, but keep in mind what the insurance company is looking for. They're looking for you to kind of prove to them that you're disabled. And what that means is you have to reframe your day. Um, you, you reframe it in your own mind and, and think, okay, what things have I lost? What things have I stopped doing? What things are, are concerning and, and I'm afraid of doing? What have my family members been telling me? What have my neighbors been telling me? And you put all those things into your thought process and then you call the insurance company so that you are convinced <laughs> that you're worthy of getting those benefits because people call the insurance company and they literally talk themselves out of a claim. Because once they start asking questions, the analyst starts asking questions, a person's like, well, maybe, yeah, you know, last week I was actually doing pretty good. Maybe I don't need, okay, that's fine. And that's what happens. So, um, yeah. Very good. Well, Linda, how can people find you? So the first thing, I'm going to go back to um, my little screen here. My name is kind of wonky. It's J-A-H-N-K-E. You can blame my husband for that. Um, and so my, my email address is the best way to catch me. And it's my first name, Linda, L-I-N-D-A, and then a period. And then my last name, J-A-H-N-K-E. So Linda.Yonke at J-C-L-T-C. A dot com. My office number is 858-513-8351. So you can call me, you can email me, um, you can Google my name also and, and I'll pop up. Very good. Well, excellent stuff, Linda. As far as Knowledgeable Aging, you can find us on YouTube. Just type in Knowledgeable Aging. Uh, this excellent webinar and many others are put onto YouTube shortly after, so you can view those. We encourage you to subscribe. You can also find us on a podcast as well, Spotify, Apple Tunes, et cetera. Um, Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.